The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, My name is Gordon Woods. You're listening to One Hour at a Time. I'm standing in for our host, Mary Woods, who is out today. And today's topic will be on spirituality and addiction, uh, how it plays a role in the lives of the affluent. High-functioning professionals struggling with addiction can be intellectually defended, gravitating more towards their skills than spirituality, which may result in a disconnection with their spirit over time. Today, I'm joined by Reverend Jack Abel, who will speak on how people can find a reconnection and how that can make a difference in the healing and recovery process. Um, so let me introduce my uh, guest today, Reverend Jack Abel. He's a, a Master's in Divinity, an MBA, Senior Director of Spiritual Care, and he's joined us from Karen Treatment Centers in Wernsville, Pennsylvania. Um, Jack is a student of both theology and business, His background includes clinical spiritual care, supervision, and organizational administration. An interfaith minister with past service as a United Methodist pastor and endorsed chaplain. Uh, Jack provides leadership in the integration of spiritual care with other disciplines across the continuum of treatment. Uh, Reverend Abel is also the founder and current president of Spiritual Care Addiction Treatment Professionals. Reverend Jack speaks nationally and internationally on behalf of Karen on spirituality and addictions treatment. Uh, Jack also serves as a clinical liaison for technology innovation at Karen. He is a summa cum laude graduate of Wesley Theological Seminary, holds an MBA from Williamson University, and has pursued additional theological studies at the Catholic University in Washington, D.C., and at the New Seminary in New York. Welcome, Jack. Thank you so much, Gordon. Gosh, it's funny to hear all that. Glad to be here. <laughs> That's uh, quite a quite a resume you have there, and um, um, I'm very interested to hear on your thoughts and your uh, experience on this um, topic today of spirituality and addiction. Um, so, why don't we start with a just a little brief introduction? Of how did you get into all, uh, this spiritual world, so to speak, and this um, uh, divinity path that you've been on? Uh, sure, that would be probably important for our listeners to uh, know a little bit about my background. And I did uh, start my uh, professional journey as an entrepreneur and business person, and uh, hence uh, the MBA studies early on. But also in my life, I had my own personal challenges, and so I started a recovery journey of my own uh, back. I usually date that to 1989, and um, so in 1994 encouraged by a lot of people who uh, came out of addiction and other kinds of personal struggle to find a spiritual path. I uh, went to seminary and um, ended up 
pursuing a calling to local church ministry for a long time. I was a pastor for 18 years of congregations. And then uh, some friends of mine uh, really encouraged me to try and put my experiences together and work in clinical chaplaincy. So I've been doing that now for almost 10 years. It's been an amazing uh, journey putting all that together and uh, helping people find uh, wellness after watching their lives to varying degrees deconstruct. Um, and uh, I did it for a period of time. I was working in the United Methodist system. Um, then I went on to uh, seek uh, some interfaith training and credentialing and um, enjoy working with people of lots of different spiritual traditions. So I, I, I tend to be really eclectic in my approach and training and background, and that turns out to be really helpful for the people that we get to work with. Mm, wonderful. Um, so tell us about Karen Treatment Centers, where you, um, where you uh, work at right now. Tell us about the program a little bit. Absolutely. We're really proud of the way we have built a department of spiritual care. It's a little bit unusual in the addiction treatment industry, and that's how Karen understands its history. And uh, today we're a behavioral health provider, but our core area of expertise going back many, many years, I think 60 plus years, involves um, also helping people commence uh, recovery from addiction. So uh, the large number of our patients suffer from some sort of a use disorder um, and may also have co-occurring disorders of various kinds and severity, chronic pain or other things. So we, at our uh, various sites, work with different kinds of presentations and have patients that run all the way from as young as 13 or 14 years old to senior unit, which may treat somebody in the 80s. Um, with complex kind of uh, forms of illness. And we have a team of spiritual care professionals that we've deployed to play a key role in the treatment journey of each patient that comes through the care and experience. And uh, figuring out what that looks like and how the different populations, including our uh, healthcare professionals and executives and folks, um, what particular challenges different age groups and gender and uh, educational groups have how they struggle differently with the spiritual aspects of a recovery trajectory. All is something that's been an area of interest and work for me for now just about ten years. Mm. Um, so, so you have that this uh, you know population, so to speak, here, whether it be in you're talking about professional staff and also the participants you treat. Uh, every, you're trying to impart and educate everyone on this um, uh, spirituality and how, where does it meet? Where does your work come in and how do you, how do, you do this, basically? I had the pleasure of doing a lecture I really enjoy uh, this morning, and I guess it's still in my mind. And it's kind of an introduction for family members who come here and their, uh, their loved one is in treatment for a period of weeks facing an addictive disorder, and this lecture is a, meant to orient them to that very question. How should they think about spirituality and what role it plays for them and for their family member who is in our direct care? <clears throat> and one of the things that we say is that in spite of how much um, many people think when you say spirituality, uh, I can want to stand off, um, that we, we see it as everyone's challenge and opportunity, that uh, every human being... Um, 
fits what we understand spirituality to be. And so just like in the ancient times, people say everyone has a soul. Um, what we're talking about when we really dig into what we mean by that word is how we um, find meaning and connection in our lives. So who am I and who do I belong to and where am I going? Those are the key kinds of questions that define a person's spiritual well-being or struggle. And um, one of our really simple ways of talking about that is uh, connectedness. So we ask people to assess how connected they are in four different ways, connecting to themselves and what's important to them, values and uh, feelings and those kinds of things, connecting to other people, maybe in their family or with a therapist or in a support group, connecting to the natural world through things like diet and exercise and um, nature and uh, experiences of the seasons and those kinds of things, and then connecting to something that is ultimate or transcendent, might be God or a understanding of um, balance in the universe, like a yin-yang or those kinds of traditions. And um, this is something that we actually believe everyone can relate to, find meaning and help from, and may actually be able to say at one point in their life they may have struggled with becoming either disconnected or finding themselves helped by becoming connected. So that's, that's kind of what it's about. I'm, I might be teaching a little bit too much, but um, that's uh, what we think makes our work with people accessible and not an area of conflict is that um, in fact, all human beings have a yearning for connectedness. And sure. Yeah. It's kind of hard to do in this world. Absolutely. Um, um, I think everyone um, would come uh, to those uh, conclusions or uh, crossroads in their life where they would question. So um, what, what are the barriers that you come across? I mean, even the word spirituality, I, I, I find, might be a barrier. Like, what, what's your response when you try to um, even opened up conversation with this, um, with your participants or your staff? So there is an interesting mix of people's responses, especially when you use the word spirituality. Some people are instantly activated and curious, and some people are instantly activated and defensive. And um, uh, both of those are um, meaningful for us. Uh, if If... If curious, then they seem to have already awakened to a sense of hunger or there's some experience that they have in their background that was helpful for them or they've watched somebody else make a connection and they think, oh, this is good. And so obviously then we can just um, begin to explore how that's going to look for them in particular. But it's the folks that are defensive that you're kind of also asking about. And um, it's interesting. They present for a lot of different reasons. So one person may be an atheist and or an agnostic and concerned about being forced to subscribe to some sort of set of teachings or a religion that they would find difficult or objectionable. But the flip side is we also have people who are defensive and struggle because they may be already very observant in some faith or tradition and not want to be dissuaded. You know, a, a significant number of the folks we treat are Orthodox Jews as an example, and many of them at the beginning of uh, coming into our care are just a little suspicious um, because they don't know if we are going to be able to 
help and support them in that aspect of their lives without being invasive and whether we know that. So the, the barrier there, I think, is distrust and fear. You know, people are just a little worried that we're going to interfere in an area that actually touches close to home. And often behind that fear is some area that they've been hurt or um, threatened by, uh, whether that's an atheist who has turned uh, to a stance of non-belief because it thought some things that were alleged were just ridiculous, or maybe there's been even worse, some sort of abuse or violation in the, themselves or the people they love, or whether it's a person who's deeply religious and has something that they prize. Um, in any case, um, well, well, that's where we find those are the biggest barriers for us to begin to be able to be helpful, is that people have their guard up. And I think one of the things that helps bring people's guard down um, is just time and um, a certain open spirit. So I hope I can bring that to your listener too today. And, uh, you know, it's just to say um, we can all have conversation about this that's meaningful without having to persuade one another that we agree. Yes. Um, And you bring in a key word there, time. And, you know, in the, you know, the field of, of addiction, and I don't know, uh, Karen, um, what you know, if it's a sixty-day or ninety-day, or or how long these stays can be. And in an addiction world, you know, there's this you know, a strong sense that you have to grasp the spiritual experience in order to um, gain sobriety, gain recovery. Um, so, well, so I don't know if we might have time to get into this part of it, but uh, at least want to start the uh, the conversation about it, and you know how. Uh, and we have we're, we'll come back to this, but I guess my question is: um, it's time. Like, what are you what are you trying to do there, Karen? Is it plant you know plant the seed? Um, where's your success been, and where have wh- how much time would would someone need? Um, but we're going to have a quick little break, um, and we're going to come back to this subject. So I'm joined by Reverend uh, Jack Abel. Um, Senior Director of Spiritual Care uh, from Karen Treatment Centers in Pennsylvania. Um, so we'll take a, a, a quick break and we'll be back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Are your eating habits out of control? Does food have power over you? 
Have you been diagnosed with an eating disorder or feel that you might have one? Before you follow advice or suggestions from uninformed sources, listen to Chasing Hunger every Tuesday with host Kathy Welter Nichols, who will dispel the myths, reveal the secrets, share good practice, and open the gateway through awareness and deeper understanding. Every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present and learn to live your life's infinite potential. It's time to experience Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio with host Rochelle McLaughlin. Each week, you'll learn about essential skills and knowledge to help you discover and create your own experience of health and well-being. And learn to be empowered to take bold and loving action toward manifesting the life you long for. Tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hi, welcome back. It's, uh, you're listening to One Hour at a Time. I'm Gordon Woods, uh, stepping in for Mary Woods today, and I'm joined by Reverend Jack Abel, uh, Director of Spiritual Care from Karen Treatment, and we are talking about spirituality and addiction uh, today. Uh, so, Jack, uh, before the break, we just were kind of talking about um, the significance of time um, in a person's life when they get on the path of recovery uh, even in the life's path uh, for spirituality and how those two things meet and how can you place time on it. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I was looking down at my paper and it noted that the word time is even in your show and there's a long uh, value in the recovery tradition of thinking about recovery as one day or one moment at a time and mm. all of that is uh, really good thinking. At the same time, what happens when people actually turn to seek for help? So they come to us or they go to a therapist or an addiction counselor or a behavioral health clinic or something like that. There is a moment of opportunity that is so meaningful. And so I like to think about spirituality and spiritual transformation in both of those ways in the sense that people really can have moments of profound change and that that's one of the things we really try to create the context for happening, uh, especially in the treatment experience, is for them really to make a positive turn and shift. But there's also uh, kind of no such thing as instant recovery. And we've learned from watching people and addressing any kind of chronic illness, which is what uh, addiction and behavioral health conditions are, um, that there needs to be a sort of ongoing program of maintenance and support and uh, monitoring and care for the best kinds of outcomes. So uh, it's not an either or for us. It's a kind of both and. But spirituality plays a role in both those things. And um, I think it would be really great for us to talk a little bit about the transformation piece, at least at the beginning. How do 
people make profound changes spiritually, the kind of like white light thing that people talk about. I had a profound spiritual experience and my life was changed that day, that kind of thing. And are there barriers to that or ways that we can help people um, understand and move into uh, transform life? You know, then maybe later on the show we can talk a little bit about how you ensure that you don't fall away once you're further along down that kind of a path. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all you can do is, uh, is present the door, so to speak, or, or many doors. Um, and I, I'm, what I'm hearing is it's coming back to the individual um, and how they grasp things. So there's a, a sense of, um, you know, a big part of self, self-reliance on, the, on their program um, and whether they, you know, are one foot in, two feet in, and whether they're, you know, embarking on this journey, whether they don't believe in it or not believe in it. Um, you know, what do you say to somebody that, um, you know, says, I don't need this in order to have recovery? Um, but it does, it does seem to be, really comes back to the individual. You know, in the early beginnings of the 12-step recovery movement, uh, if you look at the literature, it looks like many of the folks who started their sobriety from alcoholism, and that was the primary problem that they were gathering to address, were people that were seen as um, having what they called a low bottom, had really kind of lost everything. And there was a uh, desperation in their crisis that made them uh, perhaps a little bit um, more willing to entertain new ideas. What we found, which is a great thing, is that many people are now accessing treatment and seeking help for addictive and other behavioral health disorders much earlier, before they've lost everything. And yet what happens there is that sometimes that desperation isn't as um, fully developed. Um, one, of the, one of the metaphors that we use to talk about how odd this is is that when, when people go in for addiction treatment, sometimes there's a common wisdom out there. Some of you will say, well, we're not sure whether the problem is really bad enough yet um, to merit them you know, needing some kind of care, which is kind of funny because if, if you found a skin cancer, you wouldn't say, well, I think I'm going to wait until it you know, works its way into my internal organs before I do something about it. But, but there is, there's a, there's, there's a kind of a street wisdom that says it has to get really bad. And um, that's one of the things that we have, um, I think, had a lot of opportunity to look at at Karen. We, we are blessed to have people who come to our treatment who are often still very high functioning. They're uh, either um, very educated and working in significant industry roles as uh, doctors or uh, teachers, professors, um, uh, airline pilots, those kinds of folks, um, or uh, in other ways, they're just still um, quite functioning in their lives. And I don't mean to be, um, I don't know, flippant about it, but it really is interesting how uh, challenging and important, how much focus we spend in spiritual care on helping people um, 
move out of self-reliance as their strategy for how they're going to handle an addictive disorder. Um, they may they may want to build their next business or uh, undertake their next project with a lot of self-will and self-determination. But our experience is that in this um, recovery trajectory, the proper use of the will, that's an old phrase, is in following direction more than it is in uh, kind of charting our own path. And mm. some of that's because the nature of behavioral health problems involves the brain itself. So our choice maker doesn't, isn't capable of making wise choices. Uh, but that's, that's, that's maybe the big turn. Often the big aha that we're trying to help people realize is that I don't know how to solve my own problem. My best thinking has landed me in this situation. I keep trying the same thing over and over again and ending up uh, in a mess. I don't know what to do. And when people reach that point of um, capitulation to the failure of their own strategies, um, we, we see that in a paradoxical way as a spiritual opening. Um, for the patient or a client, it's distressing. But for us, um, it's a moment of opportunity. It's like, well, there you go. You've, we, now we can help you. Um, uh, and so I don't know if there's a listener out there that um, that would speak to, but it's a really, really difficult turn to make. And it's harder the more it looks like you might have parts of something still hanging together. You know, well, I still have a job or my you know, wife or husband still talks to me or uh, those kinds of things. So... Um, uh, all I need to do is make a little adjustment, you know, but um, that turns out that the way that plays out for an addicted person is often thinking, well, I'll switch from taking three of the pills to two or from, uh, you know, hiring an inappropriate sexual partner once a month instead of, you know, all kinds of really distorted judgment that, mm-hmm. uh, that, won't, that won't help and doesn't work. Right. Yeah, and um, as you were talking there, Jack, and I think about, um, you know, because you'd, you'd start off and you mentioned, you know, the 12-step recovery program, and I have a profound uh, gratitude and respect for what Bill W. and uh, Dr. Bob created and, and left for us all. Um, but it, and when I think of the, well, Appendix 2 is on the spiritual experience. I read that. I get that. Um, but when I go into the language of how it works, which is, um, it's, along with the preamble, is probably shared a lot at 12-step recovery meetings. Um, and in there, there's this um, um, almost a, a, a demand and almost a little bit of condescending of uh, there's such unfortunates who can't get it um, that seem to be born that way. And then it, you must find all power, and that one is God. May you find them now. It's almost like a... a uh, it's almost, the language sometimes is outdated. If I read Appendix 2, okay, I get it. But even, you know, just to even to read that today um, is kind of like, there's this demand, it's kind of like, you must find this. Um, so I, I don't know, it, it, you, you, you're, you're, the way you're talking about it, uh, the language you're using is a, l- a little different. Um, and, you know, in treatment, we send participants out into the 12-step community, and we don't bridge that gap of what you're trying to do here and what you're talking about. It's a lot different from what they're hearing and where they're sent to in order to get better. Yeah, it, I mean, it sounds to me like you have had a lot of exposure to that cult, 
culture and that community as I have. And, um, you know, some of those words that you said are treasured words to me, but they are framed in a very traditional kind of language that has an almost churchy resonance to it. And it can be really tough for some of our folks. And um, what what we found is that um, uh, that everyone has a need for connecting, to go back to our earlier part of the conversation. And all of us have different ways in which things like self-reliance and struggle come. And that in this classic literature in 1939, as these mostly at that time was mostly men, gentlemen were getting together and experiencing the beginnings of the recovery. The only language that they knew, it was, it was before academic and cultural awareness had gotten to the point of being sensitive to gender pronouns or uh, interreligious dialogue in a deeper way. Um, the only way they knew to talk about it was uh, to put a capital H, he, when they referred to God. So mm-hmm. I think it's uh, one of the things that we try to do as chaplains is to help people realize that they can look at that as classic literature just like they might in a church setting here, some sort of uh, language of a treasured old text that your great-grandparents used to listen to and hear it with uh, thee and thy and thou, um, but still recognize its poetry and its um, deeper significance. And, and, and the deeper significance is, for me, of those pages you were talking about, that I can't rely on myself, that I'm not going to be able to single-handedly um, solve this problem. If I would, I wouldn't have needed the help I'm seeking in the first place. Um, that's the that's seesaw. That, that, um, that's wonderful, um, wonderful stuff, Jack. I'm just hearing the, um, the cue for the, the head for a break here, so I'm, I, I hate to interrupt, but uh, um, we will um, join you right back after a quick break. Um, you're listening to One Hour at a Time uh, with Reverend Jack Abel and your host, Gordon Woods. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. You probably don't spend too much time talking about that place down there. Why not? There's now a show where that's mostly what we talk about and so much more. It's the Womb Happy Hour with host Lorraine Giordano. It's all about your body and the magical power you possess. Guys, you might want to tune in too. There's no reason to be squeamish. Listen for the Womb Happy Hour, broadcasting live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We got the power to change the world. 
Is your health where you think it should be? If you're like most people, the answer is probably not. Where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track? The answers start on Occupy Health. Each week, host Dr. Susan Downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider. You'll want to plan for your optimal health with Occupy Health. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is one 1- 866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and one hour at a time. Hi, uh, welcome back. To, this is One Hour at a Time. I'm with your host, Gordon Woods. I'm sitting in for Mary Woods. I'm speaking to Reverend Jack Abel. Um, and, Jack, we were just speaking uh, during the break there um, around the history um, so to speak, and why don't you just jump in where we were, where we were talking about? Because um, I find that might be interesting for our our listeners today. Sure, I'd be happy to. I I was remarking on the difference between the world that we have today and the world as it stood in the late 30s and early 40s, when depression uh, in the United States uh, meant economic collapse and the kind of rebuilding and uh, in this context of the early part of the century of the First and Second World War. And uh, I think there were um, black and white, rich and poor emphases that made the person who turned to a program like Alcoholics Anonymous um, kind of be able to see their their choices pretty simply. It was, you know, I either have to get help from this problem or I'm going to end up at the bottom of a pit, whether that's in a jail or an institution or dead. And I think today in the 21st century, for many of us, especially for many of our listeners, um, it's not quite as clear as that. And I'll say what I mean. What I mean is that I think that the struggles we face are very real, and some of them may be ancient. You know, we have, we, we, it's not like we've invented new problems in our society, but we have given people access to so many things that offer themselves as solutions and escapes for our time. We were barraged with this uh, set of suggestions to go to... Uh, um, spas and purchase products and take vacations and uh, try new medications and uh, go to the corner establishment that has the liquor or the uh, sporting activity that we want. And the myth that seems to lie behind that all as far as I look at it is that this next thing is going to take away my discontent. And I think that um, it's a part of the challenge for people who want to embark on what what you and I might think of as authentic recovery Mm -hmm. is that 
um, they, you know, they may go and begin and stop drinking or something like that and find themselves in a very short time lured into something else that keeps them from really embarking on uh, a deeper spiritual journey. When, when, when I say that, what I mean is, in fact, the kind of course that's charted um, in the 12 steps, and I think you can find it reflected in the world's spiritual traditions, but of deep engagement of self and then um, significant work to repair our lives with other people and finally culminating in a life of, of meaningful service. It might be to your family or friends or uh, whatever, but, but, but the kind of, we were talking about time in the second segment, and uh, if you can think about the transformation as a new beginning, like a birth moment, then what we're talking about in this segment, I hope, is the growing up phase. It's the work of uh, kind of really figuring out what's gone wrong. And um, part of that means not getting sucked into the next distraction, not becoming, uh, you know, giving up one's uh, use of maybe anxiety medication or an opioid or alcohol or uh, gambling problem, and then finding ourselves, you know, mired in social networking or uh, shopping or, you know, like it's, uh, the, the kind mm-hmm. of ways that people distract themselves are so much more accessible and so many in number today that it's, um, I think it makes it a little bit more difficult for people to have deeper and more authentic recovery. Absolutely. And I think that's maybe where the disconnect comes in. I mean, because society throws all these things at, uh, at us that, you know, takes us away from that connection that you're supposed to have with self. So, I mean, this is, what I'm hearing is this is beyond addiction. Um, this is, I think anyone could relate to maybe um, a, a sense, it's twofold almost. It's like, well, um, you're, you, you can access all these things to get out of yourself, um, but then when you realize you have a problem with either one um, or the other, um, you maybe have that... Um, psychological or uh, expectation or instant gratification that your spiritual life will come to you instantly also. And in fact, uh, while people may experience early sense of exuberance and that's great and to be celebrated, uh, you know, the, the pink cloud phenomenon as some people describe it, of a person who is newly sober and says, oh my gosh, this is just wonderful. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the wisdom of people in recovery to that person is to be cautious because this too shall pass and that they're uh, likely to find the maintenance of a recovery trajectory, um, you know, quite a challenging thing. And it, it's so true that our typical uh, person coming across the threshold and seeking recovery often wants a quick solution. They're, they've been primed for that by this very rapid culture and the short attention spans and the, you know, YouTube clips and uh, mm. brief video summaries of, uh, you know, great novels <laughs> that, um, that they, they want something. And when I think about my own recovery or what happens uh, in the longer relationship that we get to have um, in our organization with some of the folks that we work with, 
is how you see recovery evolve over time. I, um, I'd like to tell our listeners a little bit about something that happens at our uh, center in Pennsylvania that's quite unique. Yeah. We, we have a, a Sunday uh, chapel service, and I remember when I uh, started going to church in my early recovery, um, I quickly acquired the habit of thinking church should take an hour. And if the preacher went long and it was an hour and five minutes, I was you know, uh, um, ready to be a little bit irritated until I became that preacher. But <laughs> um, the, the Karen Chapel service is two hours long. And uh, so that just tells me something about it. That, and people never complain that it's too long. We never have anyone say, oh, that went too long. Um, people come from uh, miles and miles around. It's not unusual for folks to get up in New York or Philadelphia and drive a couple of hours early in the morning to get here by 8.30 in the morning um, because the chapel service is not a traditional uh, church service. It's a service that celebrates recovery and the recovery of... Uh, as it's beginning to emerge. And one of the things just this past Sunday morning, uh, we had a fellow who came back and he was uh, marking 10 years since he had been at Karen. And uh, we have coins that we present to people who are coming back for milestones like that. And it's not scripted, but uh, uh, there he was. And he was telling his story. And what we get to see in the chapel service, which also um, people who, this is one of the benefits and powers, I think, of being in a recovery community, as you see it there too, is, the progressiveness of recovery, that a person at two weeks sounds different than a person at six weeks, and a person at six weeks sounds really different when they get to six months, and that um, that even in uh, much longer milestone moments like two years, five years, ten years, you, you hear people bear witness to ongoing spiritual development, and they're that deeper work involves often like shedding another layer of these distractions that we were talking about and finding a greater commitment to um, often it's things like family, uh, personal integrity, uh, maybe a new meaningful line of work, being of useful service in our lives. And uh, to me, that's both really exciting and maybe a little bit daunting. It's, um, it is one of the things I will, I will say for the listeners here, but I, I would love to cast it in a positive way, is to say, if you or someone you love is in trouble, both these things are possible. They can find a place and a way to get an immediate transformation out of their brokenness and get on a positive trajectory and one should think about that trajectory as something that will take a long period of time and that it's an eventual journey towards wellness that will unfold. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's um, beautiful, Jack, as we do it. I mean, if we don't have the hope, um, you know, what do we have? Um, you know, I, I like how you broke the segments down into birth and to growing phase. Um, what, 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 what other phases, what's next? Awakening? Is that all that's happening? Well, where do you go? Well, I think one of the things that might be neat for us to talk about uh, is um, the various things that people learn when they uh, follow a recovery journey are involved. Um, and uh, I do have a way of talking about that, which relates to the idea of quest. And that's one of the sacred spiritual tools that we use 
at Karen to help teach people about what they're in for is to think about themselves as embarking on a heroic or epic journey. And um, uh, I think that um, uh, that always takes courage. Um, Heroic journeys are, even though we use the word heroic, uh, actually when you study them, less empowered by self-reliance and more by, you know, a willingness to um, take part in something that is much bigger than ourselves. And um, that that really frames what happens for people is that they set out to somewhere where they may not even really realize where they're yet going to end up. Mm. Yes. Um, well, well, we'll get to that. Um, we should take a uh, quick little break here. And um, I'm joined by Reverend Jack Abel, um, host Gordon Woods, one hour at a time. We'll continue this discussion around spirituality and addiction. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence based practices, consensus practices, and old fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, uh, everyone. Um, I'm joined here today uh, by Reverend Jack Abel. This is One Hour at a Time. I'm Gordon Woods, stepping in from Mary Woods. And, and Jack, uh, we're on the topic of spirituality and addiction, and we're kind of on the home stretch here. 
and we were talking about um, embarking on that journey with no uh, no particular destination or unknown destination. Um, why don't you take it on from there and 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 fill us in on what what that's like, what that journey is is like, and your experience and and in crossing that bridge for you know professionals and participants alike. We have spent some time in the hour talking about some of the different things that we find at Karen have been most helpful for our patients and families, like the idea of equating spirituality and connection. And uh, you mentioned at the close last section, I think, uh, you know, new beginnings and then the deeper work. All those are uh, metaphors or stories that we use to help people uh, realize that, um, whether they may be Jewish, Christian, agnostic, atheist, eclectic, or Buddhist, or whatever, um, we share in a common spiritual struggle, and that the journey of healing can be um, one that everybody can find their way in. One more thing that I I love talking about in our work, and that is um, really, really powerful, is this idea of quest or journey. And... um, There was a study done a number of years ago by a gentleman named Arthur Frank about how people talk about being sick and really meaningful and appropriate for people with addiction and other behavioral health issues because his model after doing this study uh, identified three ways people talk about being sick. And the first one is as something's very temporary, I, uh, as if I have a common cold or something like that, and I'm just, I know I'm going to get better shortly. And uh, many people even think that I'm going away to treatment, and I'll be back, and I'll be fine. You know, like that, uh, um, I've just had a little bit of depression, but, uh, but, but it's going to go away, and, and I won't have to worry about it. This uh, study then noticed that there were people whose capacity to use that kind of a reparative story would fall apart. Uh, It happened for me personally. Uh, There was a moment when I was in cancer treatment and my cancer recurred in a kind of a scarier way. And my doctor told me that the next step would be a kind of a more research protocol, something that might not even be FDA approved. Uh, Happy to tell the listeners my story turns out really well, but but there was a moment, a particular day when I had a bad result and a really rough news from the doctor and I was lost. And that was this model's second moment was uh, people who feel lost. And there may be people out there uh, listening to a show like this who, who, who feel like, uh, I know it's not going to get better instantly, but I don't know what. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And, and uh, this fellow study, Arthur Frank is his name, also found that there were people who had a third way of talking about illness. And it was characteristic of these people that had this third way of talking that they would often say they had gone through the first two, like thought their illness had been temporary and then shipwrecked in a point of like loss of control. And that what happened was they emerged out of that with an idea that was... Uh, Maybe the illness itself would not get better, but they had something else beyond it to shoot for. And um, he used the idea of, re- of a heroic journey, um, referencing like the work of Joseph Campbell, some of our listeners may know, was a scholar who studied the hero's journey. And uh, 
great, great stories going back to Homer and um, many of our action movies and Star Wars mm-hmm. epics all. The idea that uh, we embark upon a quest to try to get to somewhere that calls to us that we may not even fully know how to reach, that we may face certain trials along the way, that everything that we encounter on the way is potentially of help or threat, and um, but that one of the things we'll have to do is kind of find the right help to get there, um, that we may have to um, face very pivotal obstacles. Uh, Dorothy must go back and encounter the wicked witch, get the broom, uh, or mm-hmm. the wizard won't let her get back home to Kansas. And, that that kind of uh, difficult thing, and uh, that's a powerful way, I think, also of thinking about the spiritual journey of recovery is to think about it as um, as our own, uh, not just individual, but also often our familial epic, uh, uh, a journey of our life and relationship to get to a new land or a new way of being that we don't even really yet know what it will be fully like. Um, some mm. of it may feel like homecoming, but a lot of it may be new. When, by the time Dorothy, she's my usual example, gets back to Kansas, she sees it in an entirely new way. Mm. It sometimes takes an overwhelming breakdown to have an undeniable breakthrough, um, something I heard along the way. And when I think about you... Um, that that place where you got with your cancer treatment, it kind of it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier in the segment about having that um, rock bottom experience. Um, is is there a, a place um, a, along the lines in this in this work where language and words just don't serve? I think that that place when you don't even know how to articulate is that's often characteristic of this turning point. And it's, it's, a, it's interesting as a clinician, you know, you think of it as a beautiful moment when the patient who has been answering every question before you ask it and telling you they know what they need and I know what I need to do and I've got this and all that sort of stuff, suddenly you come around the corner and you see them, you know, slumped over in a chair with tears and, and you say, Joe, are you all right? And they look up and they don't, they don't even know what to say. There's no words. And, and you think, oh, he's, he's, it's as if like a flower is opened or something. And it's like, oh, now there's a moment of opportunity. You know, and we can sit down next to Joe and say, it's all right. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm here with you. And uh, we'll, we'll find out what the next step is ahead. That wordlessness that you talk about to me, that's, uh, that makes me smile. That, that is very often characteristic of what breakthrough looks like. Mm. Yeah, so just being there um, is probably uh, 99% of this work, you know, just being there for that, to be that extension of hope. Um, we've got a few minutes uh, left, uh, Reverend. Um, and maybe I, I'm, from, I just, I'm going to be selfish here and ask just a question for my own um, selfish reasons, but if you were to find or to recap spirituality in your experience um, in, a, in, a, in a sentence, if you could, what, how do you capture 
and the essence of spirituality. I'm going to use an expression I never use, but it's just in my heart and mind, which is I, I think the engine of spirituality is willingness. And then its project is connection. But, but what empowers it is that, uh, that willingness often born of desperation um, to ask for, seek, and find help. And then, uh, you know, you said something just briefly there about accompaniment, and I think that's it. Then there are people who will accompany us along the way, and we can build connectedness. And connectedness is, is what recovery looks like. That's, what, um, that, that's the project that we're working towards and the uh, great gift that we experience. But its uh, power starts with uh, asking for help. I hope... Uh, if anybody's listening and uh, needs some help, that they'll take that to heart. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you again, uh, Reverend. Uh, this was a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, yes, we are speaking with Reverend Jack Abel from uh, Karen Treatment Centers in Warrensville, Pennsylvania. Um, that is our show for today. Thank you for listening. Um, Jack, thank you very much, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next time. Gordon, take care of yourself. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.